in the presence of greatness for this uh, edition of The Bubble. Uh, I'm Mike Bonner, and he is videographer of the year, Montana Samuels, (laughs) uh, gatehouse videographer of the year. So uh, I'm not worthy, but I appreciate you still remembering your roots and joining us even after that big award that you won. If I would have known this is where you were going to take it, I wouldn't have let you leave. (laughs) Jesus. This is The Bubble, uh, and we are... I think I, you have a special treat for us uh, today. Yeah. Sorry. Well, I actually think, too, before before you introduce... This actually may be a pretty anticlimactic 20th episode. Really? I'm not sure this might be our 20th episode, though. We've re- we're almost at drinking age. Oh, I guess so. We're close. Maybe that'll be a celebratory episode rather than 20, just basically because we don't know what episode we're actually at. Mike is texting our guest who who... We are having trouble contacting early this He'll be morning, here time, this afternoon. A little time uh, confusion. Yeah. Uh, I, which is when you have a couple time zones in yeah, the United States, difficult. It, can, yeah. it can happen. So that's, but that's as good a segue as any to get into yeah. our topic today. This may be the first live bubble interview where we just call in and he's calling live. Is it? I don't think we've ever recorded one necessarily of... Usually, if you notice, we edit, you know, the first part oh, and then the sure, middle part. Sure. But oh, he so he's just going to give us a call. It's like, well, we're recording this. <laughs> and okay, okay, I understand what you're saying now. Uh, but any so he, as we continue to, he is Tyler Dunn. He's a uh, NFL features writer for Bleacher Report, and he wrote this tremendous piece on Jamal really Lewis, good. former Baltimore Ravens running back. Uh, it is entitled. Jamal Lewis making most of post NFL life, but preparing for darker days to come. And we've talked a lot about concussions on this podcast, and this really shines a different light into it mm-hmm. because it's it kind of shows the anecdotal evidence. The oh yeah brings it down to a certain person, and Jamal Lewis was really one of the. Certainly one of the best running backs of his time. Oh, one of the premier backs of like the, what was it, like early to mid-2000s, something like that? or Yeah. Into the 2010s maybe a little I mean, bit? 295 yards in one uh, game. One game. 2,000 yards, yards rushing. Uh, so, but that takes a toll, and I like really how Tyler painted it in terms of it wasn't how many ever carries he got, it was how many hits, you know, oh, how many yeah, opportunities was, right. he took to become basically a battering ram because that was his yeah. style. He was... Yep huge he was thick and he used his power as a as a weapon to impose his will on others yeah Yeah. the the two things that popped out to me the most uh well there's a bunch that kind of comes up but one that's coming to my mind right now was the number of times the multiple times that he was knocked out on the field Mm -hmm. got up and then returned in the game Oh yeah, with like without a second <laughs> mention a play. of the fact. Yeah. yeah, there was one, and not to give too much away in the story, but there was one moment where he was knocked out, went over to the sideline, and the head coach just patted him on the helmet and said, "Get back in there, bud." It, 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 which is a different, a much different time. If that were to happen now, I don't think. I guess giving the NFL some credit, he probably wouldn't be back on the field just because you literally can't put him back on the field with how many eyes are watching, but. Yeah, he and he uh, Lewis speaks on that in the piece too, or it's sort of like a different mentality, both of him growing up playing football and the league he entered in. Um, yeah, it was just really interesting. One of the things that stood out to me was sort of the societal, uh, economic, um, 
portion of his decision to play mm-hmm. football. Um, that was something we had kind of bounced back and forth on in our discussions about CTE, sort of like the opportunities presented to certain members of the American population. Um, I found that really interesting, and he was able to articulate that well through Jamal Lewis's story. Sure, I think a couple things. Uh, the story that we were kind of showing that, you know, tap on the head and go back in the game, it wasn't – you say – we say a different time, but that was with Eric Mangini and the Cleveland Browns. And Mangini not was that the long coach ago, yeah. of the Cleveland Browns from 2009 to 2010. So not that's, long ago, yeah. It's not that long. Also and, not a good lifespan for a head coach. <laughs> no, and I think I'm, that's one of the questions I'm looking forward to asking Tyler is uh, I thought Tyler and Jamal Lewis really articulated well why he wouldn't change anything about his football career yep. that he continued to play. Mm-hmm. But – um, and a lot of that had to do with socioeconomic reasons. Yeah. However, I would assume, and this is why I want to ask Tyler, maybe he'd have a little bit more information, that his kids aren't in those same socioeconomic sure. yeah, yeah. situations, but he really encourages his children yeah. to play football. So I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so many layers, obviously, to this so story. So la- yeah. we're really excited to talk with Tyler, and uh, we'll, we'll bring him on. Yeah. Three... Two, one. Well, as promised, we have uh, Tyler Dunn here from Bleacher Report. Uh, as we talked about, he wrote uh, Jamal Lewis. Uh, if I scroll up here, I get the actual title correct. Uh, Jamal Lewis making most of postseason NFL life, but preparing for darker days to come. Tyler, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Hey, thanks so much for having me on, man. Really appreciate the time. Definitely. Uh, it was just a tremendous job on the story uh, and really well told, well written, interesting. Uh, where did, how did you discover the story? How did you kind of stumble upon it? Yeah. I mean, I think it, um, like anything, just kind of reading stories about former players, seeing where they are in life, you know, certain headlines kind of uh, go into your orbit and it, they just, the antenna goes up, the radar, the radar is always on. And in Jamal Lewis case, it was, seen somebody uh, who dominated through the 2000s that we all remember his running style and I think I saw that he uh, he uh, went into bankruptcy I can't remember the exact year it's mm-hmm. in our story there but mm-hmm. uh, was forced to really turn over all of his assets um, was in a lot of financial trouble there were a couple stories out there about concussions and him dealing with things off the field and it just kind of really struck me because here's somebody who's 38 years old now he's 38 at the time of him first talking about these concussion symptoms and, and struggling with it later in life he had to be in 35 36 right. mm-hmm. so i don't know i just i reached out to him originally probably a couple of years ago didn't really hear anything back um just here and there would send him a text give him a call and i, I guess the timing was just right he reached the point where he was willing to be uh, open about it and really explain what he's dealing with in life day to day and, and try to help other people because, I, as Jamal Lewis says himself, he's definitely not alone with us all. And that was kind of my next question is, was it difficult to get him, or how difficult was it to get him to, to open up like he did? You know, not, not that difficult because I, I think this is just his life. You know, he's just talking about what, what's real, what he has to deal with day to day, and I think in his mind, he has turned a corner. I mean, he has and he hasn't, right? I mean, he says, look, this is a daily battle with depression, and he knows that whatever he did to his brain, it's going to come up later in life. I mean, he's going to have these problems later in life. I mean, it's kind of inevitable. I mean, we see this with so many players who suffered 10-plus concussions, who went unconscious two or three times like Jamal Lewis did. So Mm -hmm. 
it, it's not a battle you're going to win, but he believes he kind of turned a corner in the sense he doesn't have those suicidal thoughts anymore, quite as much anymore, and that he finds new reasons for joy, for optimism, running three businesses to keep him busy, going to his kids' sports games. We, we hung out his eight-year-old son's uh, baseball game. So th- that kind of stuff has him in a really good place at the moment. So he can be a little more reflective to talk about what led to his darkest days, what got him out of those darkest days, and how he kind of tries to avoid those darkest days uh, for years to come. Yeah. Tyler, so you talked about um, being able, or you talked a little bit about the frenetic pace in which his day-to-day life is. I was curious in reading your story, it seemed like you spent a good amount of time with him in Atlanta. How much time were you there spending with him? And also, can you describe that pace of life a little bit as well? Yeah, absolutely. So I think I was in town for four days. Didn't really know what to expect, to be honest. Um, Thought maybe, you know, we would just be able to spend a little bit of time each day. You know, maybe he just wanted to sit down, you know, for a a chunk of time once and that would be it. I I just kind of wanted to operate on his schedule and just get into his world as much as I could. And, And Jamal Lewis was totally cool with anything and everything. You know, we didn't go back to his home um, really, uh, from the start of the day to the end of the day, we hung out constantly for a good three or four days. So wow. I feel like we were able to get a sense for what his life is really like, because that's what he wanted folks to know is he is staying busy. I mean, really, his, his calendar on his phone, if there's an empty hour slot, he fills it. He finds a way to constantly keep his mind active, keep his mind moving. Uh, he runs venture exhibits uh, in, there in Atlanta which, you know, they set up and put down the exhibits that you see at trade shows, you know, signage, mm-hmm. you know, the signage at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And his latest right now is, is this website he created where high school athletes can post video of themselves working out basically anything around the game because, you know, for him, he thought that's really what got him a chance and got him drafted was that Phil Savage, the scout for the Ravens at the time, mm-hmm. just saw him practicing at Tennessee. And, and there's so much that athletes do behind the scenes. So he views himself really as a serial entrepreneur. He's constantly trying to think of a new business venture. And by doing that, I constantly think he's constantly using his brain. At least he believes that he can push and prolong and, and delay. I shouldn't say prolong. He can delay those symptoms mm-hmm. down the road. I don't know if there's any proof that's really going to do that. But right now, he seems to be in a decent state of mind. And that's something I found really interesting in reading the moments where he shared his thoughts with you because in the story it seems as if he's always fighting with this balance of he truly believes that his schedule will allow him to sort of alleviate some of these symptoms just by keeping busy, but at other moments it seems like he's trying to talk himself into believing that notion. How much of that uncertainty did he show with you, or were you able to grasp in just talking to him in, in the four days you spent with him? Yeah, you just nailed it. I mean, that's definitely true. I think there were several moments over those you know, three days together where he was very, very optimistic and very, very happy and smiling and laughing and, and feeling positive about everything. Yet there are also moments where, like, man, what in the hell did I do to myself as a player? Mm-hmm. You know, what kind of damage have I really done? I mean, he's reliving his concussions and, and you know, getting 
basically in a blackout state on the sideline against the Vikings and um, that play against Denver that he cited where Steve McNair's yelling his name and mm-hmm. waking him up. I mean, he has no clue what these kind of hits did to him. I mean, he does and he does and he, he knows because, you know, that, that depression is, is real. As mm-hmm. he put, like 70,000 fans are your cheerleaders and they're gone. You don't have that. you got to find self-worth. You combine that with the hits that you took with memory issues, with trying to find a purpose in life. And, and it's, it's a really tough combination, not just for Jamal Lewis, but for a lot of players. So I, I think it's really real. One point that he really opened up and, and got really honest with that concern, went back to his neighborhood in Adamsville, mm-hmm. just outside of uh, downtown Atlanta. You know, really wanted to show why this is all worth it. You know, pointing to the corners where you see prostitutes and crackheads and drug deals going down, saying basically, look, I need to do it all over again because of, I grew up. A lot of kids grew up. This is a game that takes you out of this. And yeah, I do it again. And yeah, my sons will play because it did so much good for me. But as he walked back, it kind of hit him like, man, I I worry about my family. You know, I worry what they're going to have to deal with Mm -hmm. 10, 20 years from now, what kind of state I'll be in. Mm -hmm. Um, He doesn't know if he'll be like a lot of former players are, you know, immobile, unable to speak, unable to think in a wheelchair. Um, And he acknowledged that that could be him and, and you, you could see on his face how scared he was how worried he was about it and then on just on like a dime he like snapped out of it and, and was optimistic again it's like he kind of caught himself mm-hmm. falling into that darkness yeah. and, and pulled himself back out and was optimistic and said look I, I do it all over again this is a great game right and, and i think you you express that really well into why he wouldn't change anything and wanted to play mm-hmm. football. Um, but I was also really surprised, and I think you actually wrote it this way, that it, it, it surprised perhaps you, and correct me if I'm wrong, that he would – it really encourages his, his children to play again. Mm-hmm. And it seems like they don't experience – and I again, correct me if I'm wrong, I, I don't think that they experience the same socioeconomic uh, experience that he grew up in. So I guess what was your reaction that he wants and encourages his kids to play football? And that, did that waver at all? Did he kind of go back and forth on that? Or – Take it. Take us through that. Yeah, he didn't really waver. Um, yeah, he, he wants his kids to play if they want to play. I'm sure his kids absolutely didn't want to. It's sure, to force him to. But mm-hmm. but yeah, that's the big difference. He he kind of pointed at one point in his office in Atlanta. He pointed toward the south side and said, "You know, those kids don't have the opportunities that the kids on the north side mm-hmm. do." His kids are growing up on that north side in Buckhead, which is a very affluent yeah, area. Buckhead. You know, he even cited the fact that his a 14-year-old son has like already traveled the world. Um, he's like modeled, actually. I mean, he's done all kinds of stuff with his life. Uh, but he also would probably play football, and he, he's got those options. I just think that the way Jamal Lewis views it, and I don't know if he's right, is that it's a different game than it was when he grew up playing in Adamsville, and you know, kids are lining up for an Oklahoma drill and bull in the ring, and they're mm-hmm. beating the crap out of each other and getting knocked down, and you know, half the kids don't even have the proper equipment. And he, he thinks the fact that you know his sons will have that proper equipment, they won't be doing the pull in the ring drills, mm-hmm. and they'll kind of bring be brought along um, gradually in a safer game. He, he thinks that will help them, but I think as we all know here, it's the subconcussive hits right. that mm-hmm. really do the damage. It's the little hits, not necessarily the knockout hits, but the little hits, like the little drags of the cigarette over time. Right. Use that metaphor that that can do the long term damage. So uh, that that's the risk that that you take there, and, and I'm just surprised. Yeah, I mean that, that's definitely something that, that startled me. Is 
everything he's dealing with, he's okay and encourages his sons to play the game. How unique is Jamal Lewis's story within the NFL? <sighs> really good question, man. I I think it's unique in the sense that he's only 38. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. think it's unique that you have ex-players kind of dealing with these issues. I mean, he's one of thousands upon thousands of ex-players that are you know get into a car drive to work drive to pick up their kids and, and forget where they're going I'm, I'm here in buffalo new york and um know thurman thomas pretty well and, and thurman has some issues just you know thurman played about you know 10 15 years prior to jamal lewis so that's what's scary is that jamal lewis is having these problems mm-hmm. this soon mm. and they're only going to worsen he knows that the symptoms only worsen it doesn't get better i mean he was really blunt about that look it, it doesn't get better it's just a matter of trying to stay busy enough that it doesn't affect your quality of life. Right. Knowing that, as you said, there, there's thousands and, you know, the Thurman Thomases of the world and you can just name the list goes on and on. How often are brain injuries or life after football discussed in the locker room by current players? That That's what's scary is I, as much as, as much awareness that we have right now. I mean, the league of denial encourage everybody to read every one of that book, watch the documentary, you know, go beyond the Will Smith movie, uh, you know, between that and just the constant awareness, I mean, the stories just like this one that are out, uh, the, the modern NFL player, the sense I get is a, a lot of players just can't think about that. Mm-hmm. They, they don't really stress about concussions because frankly they can't, I mean, this is their livelihood and mm-hmm. they can't, play scared they can't play in second or third gear uh every you know there's if you know they're they're worried about a hit doing long-term damage you know all they have to do is look over their shoulder and see somebody ready to take the job so i mean and that's where you had a lot of the problems that you saw you know even up to the early 2000s where you know, players absolutely suffered concussions but they stayed in the game mm-hmm. you know now at least you know you have an independent neurologist pulling you out of the game and helping you protect yourself. Because in the past it was, I have to play because somebody's going to take my job. So that's been a huge improvement. But in terms of the psyche of the modern NFL player, I get the sense that they're not that worried. Mm -hmm. I mean, right now, anyways, if they're in this league right now, they're, they, they may be worried, but for the most part, I'd say the majority of players aren't that concerned about long term damage to their brains. So how much do you think that has to do with what we were talking about just a minute ago of the socioeconomic um, status that comes with being an NFL player of a lot? Like in in the piece, um, Lewis says that um, he he has trouble dealing with what's going on in the commissioner's office because – he's speaking about a game where suburban kids are not playing as much, but all of these generally black from a lesser socioeconomic place like Adamsville players are having to deal with these types of things and not getting the type of attention from the op like Lewis applied for disability and hasn't gotten it two times. How much of that plays a role in players just not talking about it because they see an inevitability of, achieving a better life through football absolutely and maybe that's the future of the game right i mean maybe it goes the way of boxing and you know you know that this is something that could do real cognitive damage to you later in life and you do it anyways because the risk is worth it i mean that was 
Jamal Lewis's point is it is worth it. Those kids mm-hmm. on the south side, they don't give a crap about concussions. They don't they don't care because mm-hmm. you know, they could turn a corner and get and be shot. You know. Right. That that's just how it was in his neighborhood. That's how it is in a lot of neighborhoods. And and you be really stunned. I mean, so many of these um, current NFL players, you talk to them about their backgrounds and, and so many of them do come from Adamsville like areas where uh, you know, a concussion is not necessarily high on the list of concur- concerns for them at that point of life. So, you know, I think that if you grew up in the suburbs and you have options and, and mom has options and dad has options, mm-hmm. if you really think it out, you're probably going to see more kids play other sports. And this is coming from somebody that, God, I mean, I still think about high school football. I mean, the game did so much for me as it did for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it teaches you things that maybe other sports can't, but I think that's the reality of it. If you have options, you're going to see more moms, you know, kind of steer toward those options that being said boy the nfl they're not going down without a fight i mean every other right. commercial is is going to be heads up football um they're going to try to sell this game as a safe game as a as something that is getting safer by the year i don't know if that's necessarily true i mean concussions are being diagnosed now and there sure was a heck of a lot of them don't have the exact number in front of me but right. as long as there's blocking as long as there's tackling as long as there's physicality and it's not flag football you're gonna have concussions. It's just the nature of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, our brains are in a skull, you know, jiggling around within that skull. There's not a helmet you can create to prevent concussions. So, I, I really think it's the NFL that's owned its own violence. They own the fact that you can suffer concussions playing the sport. Um, if you even had players sign a sheet of paper, that they'd be far better off long term mm-hmm. than trying to sell this as safe because it's inherently dangerous. Right. As you mentioned, you've you're, you've kind of become close with some players. Was there a reaction? Was there a reaction around the league? And if so, what what have you heard about your story? Um, not, yeah, yeah. I guess I haven't heard a ton. I mean, there was. Um, I think the reaction I've gotten is a little bit of shock because mm-hmm. he's so young. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it, there's a few players that I know that were like, man, like what jamal lewis i remember him like bashing through the pittsburgh steelers defense and running for 2,000 yards i think that that i don't know that the recent nostalgia is what kind of stunned people because you know like you said the story necessarily isn't uncommon but it's you know it's guys from the 70s that are having problems right from the 80s not not somebody who just retired in 2009 i think that was something that popped up to me was you know just looking at I'm in my 30s, mm-hmm. and seeing someone suffering this in the 30s was uh, that was what was jarring. Yeah. yeah. So how much of an, I I look at the framing of the story? You mentioned guys like Junior Seau and Aaron Hernandez. Do you think their recent where it's been brought to light that mm-hmm. someone as young as even Aaron Hernandez had was dealing with CTE? Do you think that's lessened the surprise throughout the league and throughout ex players and executives, owners, those types of folks? Yeah, a little bit, I think. Um, you know, because yeah, he was so young, and you can only see if somebody has CTE after they've died, obviously. I remember being in New England, actually, that weekend, um, or that week that that news came out and talked to some Patriot players. I'm trying to remember who. I think it was Lawrence Guy, James White, and somebody else, just to get their reaction to it, and... It was a little bit of surprise, but like I said earlier, it was a lot of, hey, this is what we kind of signed up for, and right. we can't think about that. You know, you can, that whole, you can 
get hurt, you know, crossing the street, or you can get hurt in the car accident kind of angle to it all. I, that at least was Lawrence Guy's reaction. I, right. I remember. Um, you know, it's, it, I just think that when you're kind of in the heat of the moment and, and trying to uh, make a living playing this game, um, you're not going to really try to worry about all of that. I'm sure when they're done playing, yeah, they're absolutely going to be worried. Right. And so I, I think we want to leave you with one last question. So throughout all of this and talking with folks from Boston University and studying a little bit CTE, the thing that always gets me is the reaction or lack thereof from league officials and publishing this story um have you heard and talking to people talking to jamal lewis for it what do you see as the relationship between roger goodell's office league officials to ex-players and players who are dealing with cte if there even is one great question because i don't frankly think there is much of a conversation being had down those lines and you know i can only speak for jamal lewis in this situation but the three times he applied for disability three times he was denied and the way he put it was it's because i look normal i mean it looks looks like i can live my life that i can go to an office and i can i can work a nine to five and, and physically i don't have a lot of aches and pains where they really define disability in his words as you're not really being able to function physically but as we all know, I mean, the, the problems are cognitively. What is going on in your brain as a result of this game? And it, it sure doesn't sound like the NFL is going out of its way to help those situations and those players. And, you know, that's why you have these players getting suicidal thoughts in their 30s. So mm-hmm. I don't know what the answer is. I mean, like we said, you, you can't diagnose CTE uh, right now in somebody who's, who's living, but you think you could take somebody at their word and having the problems that mm-hmm. these guys are having and, and throw them a bone. I mean, this is a multi-billion dollar industry. Mm-hmm. Um, these are the players that help make the game. And concussions, I mean, that is, I mean, more than any torn ACL, any twisted joint, whatever. I mean, that's that's about as bad as it gets. And the problem isn't going away. So ho- hopefully the league does something right. I, I tried to talk to somebody with the league, but nobody got back to me. It would have been great to ask them that question. Yeah. I actually have one final question that uh, – sorry, I know Montana said it was a final question, but it was just something popped up in my head. How much discussion sure. was played into uh, changing the headline to the big guy? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You know what? Sadly, uh, we're, not, we're not back at uh, 740 World. <laughs> oh, man, I, can, I can have that kind of pull. You know, I can't, I can't be throwing uh, Mac hat ideas out there. Uh, we had a few big guy headlines in our day, though, didn't we? I think, I, I, I told Montana, <laughs> nightly basis, it was the, and, and sometimes we'd switch it up and go, the big guy? Question mark? <laughs> <laughs> Question mark? Like, guy? if they were good, it was the big guy. If they were struggling, the big guy? Is he still the big guy? <laughs> oh, my God. The best part, it would be, what, 2, 3 a.m., and it was like the last thing we needed to put the paper out, and we couldn't that's all all i can think of at that point well thanks so much for joining us tyler this was really uh a great uh discussion and uh again keep up the great work was a great job anytime guys thanks so much for having me on to talk about it all kind of talk about it all it was it was around 3 a.m about (laughs) these these headline ideas that would come up and uh, I had to kind of wipe tears from my eyes because I was laughing so hard the way that ended the segment because it was hilarious. That good old days in the Daily Orange, seven forty four Ostrom Ave. I did have it, Mike and I, as he alluded to, were uh, out last night, and I, I did have a big guy reference saved 
in the <laughs> cannon just to throw one out to to prove that I was in on you the were joke. the cool guy. I was in on the joke. I may not have been there, but I get it. I get it. <laughs> Again, t- can't thank Tyler enough for joining us. It was a really yeah. that was one of our better ones. I felt like it was really insightful. Yeah. Uh, well, that level of insight too is just you can't really. And something we didn't get to was the the drinking portion mm-hmm. of it. But there, that just goes to show how much that was incredibly in depth report. I mean, he really. Like you say, he was there for four days, and there was at least eight hours worth where he was. I mean, he went to a kid's practice. He went to his baseball game. There was. You can also tell that Jamal Lewis really wanted to tell his story, mm-hmm. which I think is just a match made in heaven. Someone who's willing and able to share, and then someone who can accurately depict the story. So, We'll obviously link uh, Tyler's story in the yeah. podcast, uh, but really recommend it, it, it for a read because it was it, it was, was really un, well done um great reporting and i think this hopefully this podcast kind of uh is is a nice uh kind of a, a pair a pair to it to yeah. you know maybe behind the story so to speak sure because uh, it was in it was really interesting and his reporting was really interesting on a topic that it was interesting to hear him say that not a lot of locker rooms, they're not talking. And maybe because they can't, maybe it's the Jamal Lewis aspect of they're convincing themselves it won't happen and they'll deal with that when it comes. And now given I'm not in NFL locker rooms, but I can only assume part of that is just based off the fact that they don't want to deal with that notion because it's horrifying, right? Like to me, it's horrifying and I never played football. I can only imagine what that's like to somebody like, I don't know, like Isaiah Crowell or like one of these like middling guys who didn't No disrespect to Isaiah Crowell. I'm yeah. sorry, but like a middling guy who's like, he's making good money, but not that much money. I think it, it you could probably put it in and Tyler to use it as a metaphor, but I think it's, it's probably works too. It, why would anyone smoke? You know, you know what's going to happen. Exactly. You know what it is. And actually when I was in Mississippi, I spoke with, uh, uh now the, uh, defensive lineman for, the Washington Redskins, Preston Smith. And I said, mm. and it was really just more of an off the record chat. Right, just, and it yeah, wasn't anything like a one off thing. But yeah. I just said, you know, do you think of these things? And he goes, how can you not? Right. It, 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 there's so much out there that of course I think about it, but right. he said, that's the best option that I have to provide for. He has a daughter well, and, that, and yeah. it was the best opportunity for him to bride. And it's not even that I think, cause he would have, I think he graduated with a degree. So he has a degree, but at the same time, mm-hmm. Um, and he could have pursued opportunities there, but I think if if anyone were to look, if you were to say, "I will provide you with a multi million dollar contract over the next yep. ten years, and all you have to do is you know smoke a cigarette a day for ten years," a lot of people would probably w- do that. Would you? Yeah, it it it's going to hurt you, but it's certainly going to help your family. Exactly, and. Uh, yeah, it's I just, a tough choice to be to be placed in, and I think it's even tough. That's why I'm. I think the socioeconomics of this are going to come out as a really big issue as it moves forward. Just because you are, I thought boxing was a really good analogy. Literally, you're you're placing people in this decision where it's like you can make a lot of money if yeah. you stand there and get punched in the face. Do you want to do that? But I do think you need to point out that I mean George Foreman, and again, I don't know sure. these people, so but at least from how we see them on TV and right. such, George Foreman appears to be okay. Jerry Rice appears to be okay. Uh, you well, know, there, there are Lu- pl- even Jamal Lewis appears to be okay, and right? And yeah. that, that's sort of the 
the catch twenty two of it all. That's a good point. You don't really know until I mean, look at Aaron. Aaron Hernandez didn't know he had CTE until his brain was donated after he committed suicide in jail. Due in large part, you can, if not say for a fact, at least assume or guess to CTE symptoms. And I think that, and just talk, I, I think we on this podcast we've been lucky enough to talk to a lot of people who have delved deeper into this note, this idea than we have, and it. it the more we learn about it, at least speaking for myself, it just becomes more and more clear that this is something that more people than we think are going to be dealing with. I think Tyler had a great point is just, just maybe the NFL embrace it. As you kind of mentioned, boxing, I think you just, have to. just say, Hey, it's, you know what? This is, this is the sport and this is the way it is it, because you can't do any, like he said, it's your, the notion that helmets are the technology that's missing when right. it's literally your brain bouncing back and forth inside of your skull is, you have to accept it as a gl- it really is it's it's archaic in a sense because it's just a battle of strength which is very much like glad gladiator no, is, like yeah. especially when as we i think we've talked on this podcast when the sport really began it wasn't the players weren't this big and weren't this fast no it was strong. never i i think you've seen that and it's almost like well i mean the comparison is like the unicorn trend in basketball where it's like, well, no one ever really thought like someone like Wilt Chamberlain could be a point guard, but then add to the fact that like, it's not LeBron James just sprinting down the court and dunking over somebody. It's LeBron James sprinting down the court and trying his absolute hardest to destroy them. Yeah. So it it really is like, yeah, it's, it's just really strange. And I, I thought some of the, I don't, I, I keep coming back to this point, but some of the parts I found most, profound were when Jamal Lewis speaks about the commissioner's office doesn't relate to the fact that these are kids who don't really have much of a decision in this. So his lack of understanding to the research that's coming out to the plight of the players to the understanding that you're going to have to provide help to these guys down the field or down the road rather who made you all of this money is really disheartening. To me, because I just think it, it's a lack of, he has to know, right? He's got, he's not a stupid guy. He's like a multi-billionaire at this point. He has to know that he's just like trying to cover this up to save his, his. They're making a lot legacy. of money. They're making and, a lot and of money. And boxing makes a lot of money too, but not as much as the NFL. No. And I think yeah. that's, that's, if, if you were to say, and this is my opinion, I would guess if you were to say, okay, hey, this is, we're going to take the route of boxing. And, and I think they would still be more popular than boxing. Right. But you're going to inherently. If you admit the fact that this is killing people, you're going to lose some money. And, and Maybe that's even, extreme. Yeah, if you but, say it's, you're, you're going to get hurt. Yeah. It's going to, your, your, your youth football is going to oh, it's going drastically to tw- yeah. cut. And that's, if you don't have. Youth football, you don't have the NFL. So I think this is an interesting point as well. We didn't bring this up, but you almost have – you've got this weird counterculture movement of football too where you're doubling down on the physicality with the renewal of the XFL too. I think that's sort of interesting because their whole shtick is like, we don't care. Like go out there and – literally like go out there and kill each other. It would be interesting though because I think, you know – Youth football would certainly decline, but I don't think it would be 
it's it, it's almost the best way to solve a problem is to acknowledge it. And I yeah. think as we've discussed, there are ways to promote youth football without hits. You can play flag football up until you're in high school, right. and then the high schoolers make their the 16 just like to be able to drive or drink or whatever. Sure, make those decisions to say, hey, you know what, I do want to play, and they're just as. As we mentioned, it's, it's, it might be a great analogy, and it may mm-hmm. if it isn't, whatever. But just as people decide to smoke, right? There'll be this people, and a lot of people. St- it's still a yeah. multi-billion-dollar industry. Yeah, um, they they will decide to play football because unlike smoking, there's a lot of benefits as we've mentioned to the game of football. Yeah, financially, it's, Team, it, it's well. I, I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about you know even the high school. People that were from where so, I grew so up, like Melbourne, the team, yeah. the notion the of team like building, team, you know, sure. um, com- it, social skills, the whole nine. Yeah, I, I think there are some, some, yeah, some benefits to that. But it's it's a complex issue that in order that in order for it to be solved, it obviously has to be acknowledged. Which I think we learned today really may not be being acknowledged. Yeah, I think that that'll be the turning point is when the commissioner's office and league offices decide to acknowledge that the players may have a point here. But, I mean, I think the NFL's also proven over and over again in a multitude of issues that they can operate without any connection or unity with the players at all. And they're totally fine as long as the profit point doesn't dwindle too much. Yeah. No, I think that that's a that's a perfect point to to end yeah. episode is this a 20 is this it might be episode 20 might be something um it's probably episode 20 i think it's episode 20 <laughs> unless i mismarked my files this is episode 20 because <laughs> it was a yeah it kind of rounded up everything perfectly and as i try to wrap it up myself uh hopefully <laughs> you'll uh uh ha- let's hopefully you'll have us back yeah hopefully you'll have us back yep, that one. you got it <laughs>